This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Francis Ngannou remains the UFC heavyweight champion. We have a new flyweight champion, UFC 270 is in the rearview mirror. And I'm joined as I am each and every week by the one and only member of the Glory Kickboxing Hall of Fame, Bazooka Joe Valtellini. What did you think of the of the card? Did you enjoy watching it? I actually did. I thought uh, the fights were pretty good. A lot of the underdogs uh, ended up finding wins and uh, ended up being a little bit better than I expected. I think, uh, I know the big excitement was in the main event, but uh, I didn't think it was that as exciting as most people thought. I thought it was, uh, uh, from heavyweights, I put it this way. My opinion is with heavyweights, I expect action. I expect a little bit more power. I know there was a lot of things going around that, but uh, I thought it was good for Francis, but it wasn't the most exciting of uh, main events, but overall a, a decent card. Well, let's get right into it because I think that you are hitting the nail on the head with this main event. But let me preface it by saying, I do not want to take anything away from the accomplishment of Francis Ngannou here. This is kind of two separate situations. So situation A is that Francis Ngannou was coming into this with a terrible injury. And I uh, I asked the doctor, David Abbasi, who posts a lot of videos online uh, about injuries in MMA and, and how they impact fights. And him fighting with a torn MCL is going to impact how much power he's able to put into his punches. So we weren't getting the Francis Ngannou that we're accustomed to that is knocking people out in the first, second round. So with all of that in mind, it is an absolutely incredible accomplishment that Francis Ngannou was able to win the fight that way. With him, with him losing those first two rounds especially, and then to turn the tables and use a wrestling-based attack to beat Cyril Ghosn, I think is just, um, I mean, it's really nothing short of one of the more gutsy performances we've seen in the UFC. However, if you're looking at it from just the fight, if you take all of that out of it, yeah. man, was that a sloppy fight, and man, was exactly. that a slog. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you nailed it for me. I mean, I, I didn't want to say it off the top that quickly, but uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think what he did was absolutely impressive. I know guys with sprained, you know, MCLs or, you know, and, and they can't even walk on it, and here's a, a man, you know, fighting with uh, so many things on the line, and I think the fact that there was so many things on the line for him, his contract is up. Uh, you know, he's fighting a former, you know, which he didn't want to call a training partner during the press conference, but they knew each other. They knew each other well. The coach knew each other. So I think there was a lot on his mind, and that was the impressive part. But uh, when you think about it, when everyone was like, oh my God, Francis, he, he started wrestling. Well, in his earlier career, he lost due to his wrestling. So since then, he's put in two, three years of constant wrestling where Surreal, still being a new mixed martial artist, hasn't put that grind, uh, that grind on, on the ground. And if so, he is, I'm sure he's not training it that much against Francis because I'm sure his yeah, thought is that it. Francis isn't going to – yeah, like you're, you're probably just training range for the most part, like just to stay out of range of Francis's primary weapon. Yeah, and I mean, Lopez even said it, uh, a Surreal's coach, saying his whole career has been anti-wrestle, anti-wrestle. And when you get a big boy like Francis just shooting in when you don't expect it, and I mean, it's it's big, he's strong, he's heavy. And if you don't have that big experience on how to use your weight and levers, it's really hard to get that big guy off of you. And it's just the power of Francis. Like, I think a lot of that was less technique and just more brute strength. Like his ability yep. to just basically lift Cyril Gunn and, and bring him down without, again, not a ton of technique in terms of the wrestling. Um, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. Again, I, this is a guy who I'm sure has been training grappling, um, you know, probably at a more rudimentary level than guys that have a big wrestling background. But And again, I think he deserves all the credit in the world for being able to do that uh, in that situation. And one thing I really am curious about and I'm curious if Fernand Lopez would admit this, but I think that the emotions got the better of Fernand Lopez going into that fifth round. If, if you watch the corner work, he says, you need to finish, you're losing this fight. If he would have just taken a deep breath and said, those first two rounds are almost certainly Cyril's. Like the, yeah. uh, you would have to think that uh, Cyril won those first two rounds, just based on the eye test. And yeah. he did on two of the judges' scorecards. If he would have just said, like, calm down, try to do what you did in the first two rounds, like, let's not get too carried away here. Instead, he tries to pull for that leg lock in the fifth. It cost him the fight. And, I mean, yeah. we're looking at this a whole different way. If Cyril Gunn ends up getting top control in the fifth and winning the fight by, like, a pitter-patter decision, I think people are furious about this fight. Yeah, yeah. I just think, I mean, yes, that was the biggest mistake going for that uh, 
for the ankle lock there. It was ankle lock, wasn't it, at that point? Yeah, well... Was it, it wasn't yeah, a knee yeah, bar, was it? Ankle lock, yeah, it wasn't... Yeah. A, I'm not really certain, to be honest. Uh, I think I'd it was... I'd back and watch. I think it was... Yeah. I think it was... You're right. I think it was an ankle lock of some sort. And Francis had talked about after the fight how uh, their grappling coach, uh, I think his name's Benjamin Sarfati, the grappling yeah. coach for Cyril Ghosn, um, used to say to Francis that he's like perfect leg lock material, that he's like... Yeah, I think, it, I think actually... I'm trying to think. I think it was a heel hook. Yeah. I want to think it was a heel hook. It was a heel hook. I but, think it was yeah, a heel so hook. So essentially, Francis said that he had trained for this and spoke to his team and said that they're probably going to try this at some point in the fight. And he was right. And he yeah. took, I just think he took a very smart approach to this. Aside from actually doing the fight, which probably was not the smartest thing, <laughs> more pride than anything, but yeah, he still yeah. ended up coming out on top. Yeah, I just think even with that, going back to the Fernand Lopez fifth round cornering, it just at that point, I mean, I've been guilty of it a lot of times as a coach myself. It's you have to push your guys and motivate them. Like even if it's close, like you don't know, you can't really trust things. So I think it could be a lot of like, I don't know, did they know? Like, I mean, just more of we got to go, we got to push. But I think a lot of people are now taking that as a narrative of like, you can't lose this fight because of it's Francis, you know? Like, they kind of put the, the beef narrative in there. But I just think it's Lopez just trying to say, hey, it's close. We got to win. And maybe Surreal felt the opportunity on the ground. I think at the end of the day, that's Surreal's mistake from taking that. Fernand Lopez isn't going to tell him to take the heel hook. He's not that kind of coach to do that anyway. So I think it's Surreal making the wrong decision in the moment. Yeah, and that can just be from being kind of a green fighter. But it also could be because Fernand was saying you need to finish. So how do you get a finish when you're on the ground and you have yeah. top control? I mean, you can True. try to, yeah. try to l utilize ground and pound. But if you think that you have an avenue, you, you're going to have to take it. Now... Here's the other thing that a lot of people aren't really talking about. Um, based on the scoring criteria, this is one of the rare fights that probably came down to effective grappling. Because, you know, Cyril landed more strikes in those last rounds, the ones that Francis ended up winning. And Francis did next to nothing on the ground, really. But yeah, just pressured. Think, yeah, but you know what? The, the strikes that Cyril is landing, he's landing volume, but it's really not... The strikes aren't super significant, right? So, like... I'm actually gonna. I've got, I've been meaning to talk to a, uh, a colleague of mine who's a judge this week and say, you know, what did you think of those late rounds? Because, you know, based on the criteria, you could make a case that Gone won maybe the fourth round, maybe the fifth round. Like, you know, because Gone's landing more strikes. Now, I don't make that case. I thought that Francis won three, four, five. But I'm just curious, like from somebody who has the judging experience, like what are you, like how are you giving those rounds to Francis? And I had written after the fight, like. That's a tough fight for judges to score because you don't have a whole lot to go off of in those late rounds. And really, having top control isn't something that judges really prioritize in terms of the scoring criteria. Yeah. Well, I think top position should be valued. I mean, if both guys aren't doing it, like even if you're on top pressuring someone and they're throwing these little punches at you, you controlling them and pinning them down on top is more effective in my mind. So I, I don't know. I think top position should play a little bit more favorable and I think they're trying to change the narrative. Like you're a big boy and you're smothering someone. You're pinning them to the ground so they can't move. That's winning to me, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, if you just sit there and you lay there the entire time, I mean, it's different. And, and if the guy on the bottom's trying to escape, is that doing being act, like, is that being busy trying to escape? You know, so I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, I agree with you. That's if you look at the details of the scoring and, and you break it down, it was probably very difficult to score. Yeah. So I'm curious as to what the judges were prioritizing in those last three rounds, because, again, Francis had the top control and but he wasn't advancing position all that much. I think there was a time where one of the they got stood up in that fight. Right. I think it was in the fourth round or something along those lines. The I judges can't stood remember. Them up. There just wasn't I a lot think of so. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's still I think in my mind that was a, an early stand up. Was it Herzog who did it? I think it was. I can't again. I can't recall. Well, Herzog no, it did it Herb once. Herb Dean was the main. Was the uh... Herzog did it once in the event, and it was like, ooh, that was early. Even yeah. Rogan called something out on that. So I don't know if that was the fight itself. Yeah, again, I have to kind of go back and watch it. But, you know, when you're watching it at 2 a.m., <laughs> whatever, 1 a.m. Yeah. local yeah. time, it's, you're telling me. You know, you're trying to just yeah. kind of get through it, uh, especially a fight like that. So. It was interesting. I mean, I was up till almost 4 a.m. covering the event just because I'm I'm trying to stay on top of the press conferences and all that. And speaking of the press conferences, a yeah. major absence at the press conference. UFC yeah. President Dana White didn't put the belt on Francis and didn't do post-fight media. Now he's doing an ESPN Plus Q&A tonight. I don't know if it's going to come up. Hopefully it does. I don't think that Dana's one. Yeah, to I run feel from someone things. would have to. Um, They'd have to. Come you on, know, at least you for a prolonged period of time because he kind of did run from things on on Saturday, but. Yeah, I'm very curious to hear what his take is on all of this because 
you know, this is a real problem for both sides here. And the reason why I say that is because had Francis Ngannou had an emphatic knockout, it would be really hard for the UFC to say, like, you know, he didn't earn uh, the kind of money that he's asking for. In this situation, even though it was a very gutsy performance, I don't think that that's the kind of heavyweight fight that is very easy on the eyes, right? Like, you know, when, you, when it comes down to it, I don't think the fans really enjoyed... I think that a lot of them were surprised by how it played out. Yeah. But I think when you're watching heavyweight MMA, you're looking for a spectacular knockout of some sort. Yeah, I mean, it just... It, it was, like I said, the outside narrative made it a good fight, you know, knowing everything behind the scenes. But uh, what do you think's next? For surreal, let's start with surreal. What's what do you think's next? I mean, that's a great question. So, I think what it comes down to is, will John Jones be coming? Like, is he is he going to fight? Because if yeah. if Francis is going to have surgery, the expectation in my eyes would be that it kind of buys him a little bit of time in terms of the negotiations. But I don't think I think they're going to probably put an interim title into the mix. Yeah, um, yeah. If Francis is that. probably not able to fight for the next nine ten months, so if you're going to make an interim champion. The two possibilities in my eyes are John Jones, ver- yep. well, three possibilities. You basically take John Jones, Stipe Miocic, and Cyril Ghan, and you just put names in a hat, right? Like, that's probably what it comes down to. Y- yeah, you can yeah. either do Jones versus Ghan, you can do Jones versus Stipe, you can do Stipe versus Ghan. Yeah, I, I heard, uh, I think it was uh, John Anik saying, what about like uh, a Curtis Blades? Maybe To I test mean, Curtis, his grappling, Curtis has to a fight see coming him up, improve. I think, does he not? But uh, I know that name was thrown is around. Is Curtis lined up with somebody? Is he lined up with like Rosenstroke or something? Or did he just recently fight Rosen? I can't even remember. Uh, I'm not sure who Rosenstroke. Rosenstroke, I think, is with another big striker, if I remember being Let's like, ooh, that's a good one. Let me, let me see where Curtis Blades is at right now. I'm going to look it up. No, sorry, he just beat Rosenstroke. It must have, uh, it must have been kind of uneventful if <laughs> I'm having problems yeah, remembering For it. you not to remember it. Yeah, yeah, he probably just took him down and smothered him. So Curtis doesn't have anything lined up. So yeah. that's another, I guess, another player in the division, but... You know, coming off that loss to Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis is now coming off of a win. Plus, he's facing Tai Tuivasa next month, so that's interesting as well. Uh, there's a lot of players still. I mean, the UFC will have no shortage of options for where they want to go with the heavyweight division if they're going to crown an interim champion or if they're going to just keep advancing the division. There's a lot of different possibilities that can be made. Uh, plus, you have this Volkov Aspinall fight in March. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, a lot which, of options. which fight do you like for surreal? If you had to pick. I would take Stipe or Jones, really. I'd be happy with either of those. I think you'd, you'd see a lot. I mean, he's already beaten Lewis. The Blades fight would be interesting, too, because now you've got a wrestler in there with him, and let's see how he looks against the wrestler. Yeah. Now, are we going to get Francis back? Well, that's the big question, right? And I don't know. If, if I were the UFC, I might just release the guy. Like, if, if you really are not going to want to negotiate and you are not serious about paying this guy money... It looks bad to release your heavyweight champion, but, I mean, yeah. the, the more public these negotiations are and the more that comes out, the more it look, makes the promotion look bad for not yeah. paying their heavyweight champion. Because if there's any division where a champion should get paid, people, I'm sure, in the public would argue it's the heavyweight division. That's the baddest man on the planet, as they say. Yeah. But the, the other question is, John Jones is in the same situation as Francis now, right? Like, Are they going to get the payday to fight each other? That's the other big question, right? Because Jones has Richard Schaefer negotiating. He wants a lot of money. And if the UFC aren't able to put together a John Jones, Francis Ngannou fight, which I think is the biggest fight you can make, the next biggest fight is probably Stipe versus Jones for an interim title. I think you could probably sell that. You have the greatest heavyweight of all time, arguably, in Stipe against the greatest fighter of all time in John Jones. Yeah, I think it's worth the money for sure. Yeah, I I think so too. But you think that. I think that. But yeah. But give them maybe a little bit more percentage on pay-per-view or something like that, you know? So if it does extra well, like they both think it will, then they get a little bit more pay-per-view buys, make it more like a buyership uh, agreement. Yeah, that's that's what I've argued the whole time, is if if John Jones wants to make his money, he should try to get more more of a cut of the pay-per-view. But we also have to remember now that the pay-per-view buys might not be what they used to be with the increase of price. Yeah, that's true too. I heard Patrick Auger, who's very... um, well-versed in the business side of MMA, kind of break it down on his podcast about how if you give ESPN the rights to work the prices, if they have to pay ESPN, or sorry, the UFC, a certain amount above a threshold, so like if they sell 400,000 pay-per-views, 500,000 pay-per-views, whatever it is, and they have to pay a cut of that to the UFC once it hits that threshold, 
hmm. they are smart to raise the price and lower that threshold because they end up getting more of the money and then they don't have to cut in the UFC quite as often. Yeah. yeah and then if the, if the numbers stay the same, they still make more money and the UFC's happy too. Yeah. It's, that side of things is always going to be messy. But like I'm looking at reported payouts right now. It's saying Francis Nagano with no win bonus made 600000 Surreal gone five hundred thousand. Yeah. How was Surreal making five hundred? That would piss me off more than anything. Okay, Francis didn't make it, but I've been here so long. I'm mm. defending my world title. I've gone through the ringer a little bit more. How was Surreal making five hundred and then I'm only making six? Yeah. That well, that remember, would be my beef. If you remember, Stipe was angry that I was there over and made more than he did, and he was the challenger. Yeah, that's right? always the beef for me. It's like when I compare myself to my opponent. Okay, one, I understand what I should be paid compared to boxing, other organizations. That's one thing. But when you're your champion, you're making a hundred grand more than the challenger. It's kind of, it's kind of. You do have you know, to remember. I see it. Cyril is under a championship contract too, because he's the interim champion, right? Yeah. But still, interim champion, a guy defending his belt, the guy who's done so much more for the company than Surreal has, you know? I hear you. And and I think that it's – listen, I want to see Francis and Gano get paid as much as the next guy. I just don't have the confidence in the UFC doing it. I mean, that's a, that's really what it comes down to is I, I think that he's worth it. I think that all the fighters are worth getting paid more money, but yeah. I don't know the economics of it. And the UFC, if you look at the – the other thing that stood out to me on the disclosed pay was – 10 and 10 for the contender series winners. Yeah, so yeah. It's they've usually got a farm 12, system no? that they can rely on. It should be 12 and 12, I thought. Well, you might have thought wrong. I don't know. I mean, that's the disclosed number. Yeah. I thought it was pretty crazy to see Brandon Moreno only make 200,000. But I mean, he lost the fight. It should be 200 and 200 maybe. But Figueredo to win the belt, 150,000 with no win bonus apparently. Yeah. That's pretty insane. Like, that's yeah. crazy. These are champions, right? Yeah. So I, I didn't think it was that low. I mean, I know they were low, but for the champions, I thought at least a little bit more than that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, su yeah. I'm surprised by it all. I know. <laughs> but I don't I know. know. I, I, yeah. You know, what, what's, you know everybody looks to the media to, to scream from the, the rooftops about fighter pay. And we do what we can. But ultimately, it comes down to the managers and it comes down to the fighters because we as media can keep saying it, but it doesn't seem like the, it resonates much with the UFC and the public don't seem to be getting behind it all that much either. Yeah, it's insane to me. They got to be a little bit better. The times have changed. I remember UFC guys 10 years ago were making 10 and 10. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Bonuses. I'm talking be, about a decade ago. Bonuses it was a decade like ago were 60,000. 10 and 10. Yeah, bonuses were 75,000, I think, and then 60,000 like a decade ago. So yeah, that they like were higher. I mean, I know they're doing go more up, events, you know? but I mean, yeah. again, you're right. You look at that kind of stuff, and it's weird how a lot of that hasn't changed. And you know, I brought up last week. Uh, I didn't bring it up on the show because it, it came out after the show. But uh, UFC Strike, the UFC NFTs, came out, and the fighter revenue shares were are 50-50. They they split 50% of the revenue with the UFC. Yeah, it's a good idea at least, I well, would think. But that's the thing is like I I was talking about this and then people in the media are making fun of NFTs and calling it a scam and all this stuff. It's like, well, on one hand you're arguing for fighter pay, and then when the fighters are actually getting a 50-50 revenue split on something, you're making fun of it. It's like Yeah. At least they're trying to cut them in a little bit, you know? Well, that's exactly it, right? Like are you in or are you out, right? That's, yeah. that's the thing to me is like if you are going to practice what you preach, at least be consistent with it and say, hey, I, I, I might think NFTs are silly, but it's great to see that the fighters are making 50-50 on it instead yeah. of just this outright dismissing and demonizing the project itself. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, an option for guys to get paid more. I think that's what they should do. Like it, like the fight kits. If your fight kit, fight week, you can sell a thousand, that's a lot, but say a hundred fight kits, you should get at least 20% of something or get some money kickback. So, hey, you get your pay and then, hey, oh, I didn't know 50 people bought my fight kit. Um, maybe at the stands in the arena when they have it, there's different t-shirt sales they can get. Like, I mean, that's the, the that little bit helps a long way when you take away sponsorship. So maybe something like that. But that NFT thing, I think, is a good start. And at least it gets the, the fighters themselves promoting it builds the 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 system and the software itself and go from there i always wonder why the fighters don't just buy fight kits from the ufc and sign them and resell them like like yeah you true. could do that i mean you could if i was like a, a big star in the ufc if i was like a brandon moreno and i was able to buy my own fight kits 
at whatever it is costs. I don't know if you, if you could probably. I'm sure they can get a, a, a price on it that's lower than the, you know, the retail price. Maybe buy not them. if you're reselling. Buy them on, and sign the... them and resell them. Sell them on yeah. your site, your own website for 350 bucks. People would love an autographed Brandon Moreno. Make a certificate of authenticity that comes with it of some sort. There you go. I don't let's know. get let's get you into fighter management, Aaron. That's but it. what's get stopping them, them from doing that? Like there are a lot of different income streams, but at the same time, it doesn't really take away from the overall theme of fighter pay, which is listen. Everybody would like to see the fighters make 50% of revenue, but there are just a lot of barriers that are being put in front of that being a realistic yeah. thing. So when there is a, a thing that comes about where there's 50%, uh, a 50-50 split of revenues, we should probably be celebrating that rather than trying to put it down. That, that's yeah. my only yeah. take on that. But again, I am looking at some as someone here like these Okay, I'm looking at the payouts right now. This is fantastic when you want to talk about kickboxing. If you want to understand what other martial arts go through, this is great, you know. But I'm just trying to say now how big the UFC is. There's got to be that little bit of an increase. I personally am someone where I'd rather see less fighters on the roster having to get more fights and then paying the guys who are there they're more valuable. There's less of them. Then they get a little bit more. I think it's, it's sad to say, but I think it's almost a little too easy to get into the UFC these days. I mean, it's great. I understand that. But, like, I think if you get into the UFC, you should be the elite of the elite. You should be the elite of your country. I mean, there's so many fighters I see in there that I'm like, how are you in the UFC? I get it. I mean, the, the time. But the UFC should be built elite. And then if you're the elite, like your champions got to be paid more. Take some of these. Maybe only put 10 fights on a card now, you know, and, and then raise the, the thing. Do we need those early prelims? Yes, Jasmine was great, and I'm happy to see her. But at the end of the day, like, the problem is the pay at the top of the tier of the hierarchy. So – Less fights each one. That's it. That's another couple grand to to add to each guy at least ten fights maximum for me. You know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there are a lot of things that we can throw out there, but I think that this is by design by the UFC. Like they want to have lower paid fighters. That, like you said, it's an easier barrier of entry to get into the UFC because I think that that gives them goodwill with the agents too. Like if you if you're a manager and you have seventy fighters on the roster or whatever it is. It's hard for you to go against the UFC, right? Because they're the ones that are buttering your bread. They've yeah. got a whole system that's in place that makes it hard for fighters to get paid more money. I mean, that just kind of is yeah. what it is. But, but they, like, people but they've done it... a they've done a brilliant job of building this system, yeah. and that's why when I see this news that Jake Paul has bought Endeavor stock, that and people are reporting this like it's a big deal, like it just it annoys me that people come up with these stories where. You know, they think that this is going to make a tangible difference in fighter pay. Yeah. Nah. But like, look, 10 and 10, we said crazy. Oh, 10 and 10. You're making you win. You make 20 grand. The average fighter, if you're lucky, is going to get three fights a year in this day and age. So you made $60,000. You got to pay out at least 20 percent of that each fight. 10 to your manager just for getting you there. 10 for your coaching staff. So take 20 percent out of $60,000 and you can't work. You can't own a Plus house. Other expenses you can't to pay your rent. Out. You now everyone's like all of these fighters are all flying to Vegas now, spending weeks there preparing for fights. Where do you live? Like you have to work still. Like it's still not you getting to the UFC doesn't mean you can quit your job still. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think if you get to that level, you should be able to be financially stable. That's why I put less of them. That's my honest answer. Put less of them. You know, put less fighters, but when they're in there, they're getting paid well in there. You mean like shorten the cards, like make it less. Yeah. I mean, even don't put a card every week. Every other week is great. Every other week you put 10 fights on. But if they do that, then they lose a ton of money because much of the income of the UFC is based on rights deals, based on television rights. So that's, again, like people have all these different solutions. But we have to remember that the UFC is not a sports league. Like... They don't operate like a sports league. They never have. They just happen to be on a sports network, but they're not a league. It's not. The, it doesn't run the same way as a league. They're not trying yeah. to justify yeah. what's happening here. I know. It's, but it's, it's just, just frustrating. It's the reality. It is frustrating. It's very frustrating yeah. as somebody who covers the sport because I feel helpless to the fact that there's nothing that really anybody in the media can do aside from just keep saying that the, the fighter, you know, the fighters don't make enough money, yeah. right? Like, the fighters need to have representation that are going to stand up for them, and they don't. They just well, don't. It, it's and, funny and I'll too. tell you what would happen if you took if you took the champions and they all came together and said we're not fighting until we get an increase in pay. 
you're going to have new champions in every division in a month. Yeah. That's just the nature of the beast because they yeah. uh, they run the show. The, the the until there's a fighters union and again there are so many different barriers of entry that there being a, a fighters union it's not going to happen. And I, I again I I think that one of the issues is that the managers because they work so closely with the UFC you know all the managers would have to basically combine efforts to go against the UFC if they wanted to make any sort of change. Yes. I agree with that. And they can't and they're not going to do it. Because a lot of these managers hate each other. We saw like online we saw two managers this week go at each other publicly. We saw uh Malki Kawa first round management and Brian Butler like two of the biggest managers in the, in the space. Yeah. You know, tear, tearing uh, you know going at each other's throats online. Like these guys aren't going to collaborate to try to like make a make no. a difference. It but the the problem is like you said, I think the matchmakers and the managers if you're if they're friends that's the manager you want, right? Like, I mean, right. let's be realistic. Right. There's a handful. If you want to get into the UFC, you need to have a handful of managers. That's all you can do. You know, otherwise, you have to be this spectacular fighter who just knocks everyone out, and then you put yourself in that position. But, but having to, one of these handful. It's hard to blame the managers, too, right? Because if you're Jason House and you have smart. 200 people on the roster, is he going to go speak out against, like, the, the pay no. structure? And then he's going to call the matchmaker and be like, hey, I've got this great prospect. They're going to hang up the phone. After on. I talk trash, yeah. So yeah. I, it's, 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 They've built a fantastic system. The UFC's built a fantastic system that makes it almost impenetrable. And it just kind of is, like, it's, it's hard. Unless you have a real solution, people are just coming up with stuff. Whoa, they should do this. They should do that. They, they're getting record revenues every single year. Yeah. Nah, I, but we're, I know the as a business, like you said, is good. Fighters still going to have to work at it. That's it. They still have to do something. It's frustrating. It, it it just it drives me nuts. And I'm the first person. I was a high school teacher fighting professionally, winning world titles. So I get it. So I just I was hoping things would get better with time, but it doesn't seem that way. Yeah, I I just don't know what. Like if you if you gave me a suggestion, if people if people lined up and said, here's what we should here's what should happen, I could t- I would tell you exactly why it wouldn't work. <laughs> because yeah. if you approach it from a corporate standpoint. And a rev like a standpoint where the UFC wants to maximize their revenue, and that's really what it, being in business is all about. It seems like they just have built, they built a very successful business. But as a result of that, and as a result of any successful business, it seems like there's there's collateral damage along the way. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to be paid more, right? I want to be paid more. You want to be paid more. That's yeah, just life. Sure. Yeah. All right. I guess we go to our our second fight. We ranted pretty good yeah, there. Yeah, not bad. Figueredo versus Moreno. Um, I messaged you. I disagreed with. Uh, yeah, you like. I didn't you get to Moreno rewatch won. it. I thought Moreno it was won. a close fight. I, I mean, thought Moreno. This is the thing. When you're watching the first round at home, you notice that, like, and the commentators noticed it. Remember that shot that that Figueredo, the story that Moreno landed on the ground that had Figueredo on wobbly legs. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was the most significant strike of the round. Like that was really the only strike. Where somebody, if I recall, I can't. I don't think that Moreno got dropped in the first round. Like that. I think me, it was the second, wasn't it? That was he was dropped. Round. Yeah, the second round. Uh, I think he was dropped. No, no. Near the end was or the, the third? Second? Because I think the second was like a pretty. He got dropped. Was, pretty I think that was the round that most people had for Moreno. I had Figueroa winning three, four, five. Yeah, I I have to rewatch, but I've heard, I've heard so many different people give Figueroa three different rounds. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, yeah. that's how close it was. Yeah, yeah. I, but watching it, I mean, again, I was the vast minority of people that gave Moreno the first two rounds. Yeah, but everybody was saying it's power versus you know volume striking. Like I mean, Moreno was landing good counters; he was mm. cracking good. Um, I I just thought the other narrative, I mean, w- which we said we we're going to talk about, was uh, the calf kick. Moreno was blocking a lot of those calf kicks. Like what he was doing was he tucks his foot in like his shin in so it creates a downward angle from your knee to your foot if you tuck your heel to your butt it cuts that angle so it takes away the calf a little bit so they might land maybe by the foot or the toes but those aren't really doing damage so that was his way of doing it a lot of times he fell forward because the timing of the block was off like one time he just blocked it and fell with a right hand and he rocked uh figueredo a little first round yeah yeah so i mean that was still a form of blocking the calf kick, and it was just driving me nuts hearing Rogan um, 
and DC saying, oh, you know, those Cape Landing, he better do something. He is doing something. A calf kick, either you slip it, you can turn your toes out, or you pull your leg in like he's doing. These are different ways to block him. So to hear them constantly say, were some landing? Yes. When he didn't tuck the leg in, they, there were some landing. There were, but not all of them would be considered landed calf kicks to me. Well, here's the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because you would know about this far more than I would. I think one of the reasons why people thought that the win for Figueredo was so pronounced were the knockdowns. There were three, three knockdowns registered. But Moreno was landing shots that rocked Figueredo in almost every round. Like, you saw Figueredo kind of be on wobbly legs. And, yeah. But I feel like Moreno rolls with punches a lot, and you can get knocked down from just being off balance and, and just, like, rolling with it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're as hurt as somebody who's rocked on the feet. I mean, is that am I saying something that's that's no, no, no. Because when you're moving there? your head, you're you you lose your base a little bit sometimes. And with MMA, like I don't know, like I'm old school raised from kickboxing, so we value knockdowns as everything. Mm-hmm. A knockdown a is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a, you you can be losing, you get a knockdown, boom, you get a ten eight round. So I mean, at the end of the day, you knockdowns are everything in kickboxing. In MMA. I feel like they're not valued enough in a weird way. Like a lot of times you can get knocked down and then survive and then get a good position and then survive on top and then on top and then you grind out and maybe you just, you know, throw some ground and pound, but you just got dropped. Like you just survived, ended up getting top position. But like, so who wins at that point? You know, in MMA, they almost make it like an even score when really the knockdown was everything to me, you know? So I'm still have that little bit of kickbox boxing bias a little bit so when i watch mma i try to take it away so but i still thought moreno did enough even though getting dropped um a couple times yeah close fight we might end up seeing a fourth like i think that's the one that makes the most sense at this point in time if you were to ask me what would i like to see next for figueredo i think you make the quadrilogy fight and they fight four, yeah. four times in a row these guys are so evenly matched it's unbelievable well of the three fights two were fight of the nights right because this one got fight of the night. That draw had to have been fight of the night. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, then the, the submission was could have been a performance of the night, probably Moreno. Yeah. So you got a you got a special award on each of those fights. So I'm okay with the fourth fight. I know. Let's see if that's accurate. Yeah, fight of the night, performance of the night, and then fight of the night. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, how can you not want to see that again? So I'm okay with it. They both scrap. Some of the narratives were one Figueredo going with uh henry cejudo he was that much better he was that much more patient did you see that did you see a difference i think that there was a difference in both their approaches because usually walking to the cage figueredo is the guy who's got that warrior look he's angry it, it felt to me that figueredo was just a lot more laid back all fight week and even in the cage whereas moreno kind of had brought the stress with him into the cage and brought the emotions with him into the cage it seemed like it was kind of a an, you know, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing where both of them are kind of taking each other's personalities on. It was strange to me. That, in yeah. fact, that, that press conference last week was one of the weirdest press conferences you'll ever see. It, like, yeah. There's just too yeah. much weirdness to wrap your head around. There, yeah. there was Francis and Cyril arguing about whether or not Francis had knocked, gone out in training. Yeah, with a left head kick. Yeah, with a left head Of, of everything. Yeah. And Gon was like, you knocked me down and it hurt a lot, but I wasn't knocked out. And then Francis was like, did you keep training? Did you leave? Did you leave the yeah. gym that day? And they were talking about it for like six minutes. Yeah. And then you have Figueredo with an earpiece in, getting weird lines and speaking in broke, swearing in broken English at Moreno. And Moreno being like, what are you doing, man? Like, what yeah. is this? This isn't you. Getting, this isn't you. This is frustrated. He was just getting then frustrated. Figueredo trying to find a song for like two minutes yeah, to play. I was like, what is happening? And then you had the French media turning on Francis and Francis yelling at the guy. Yeah, hold on a second. Back to that, though. I just thought it was lost in translation almost, you know? Like, I just don't think the French reporter knew or Francis was taking it the wrong way. Yeah, he was. And this is why. And that's why, to me, I was like, the poor guy. I felt bad for the journalist. (laughs) I'm like, I felt so sorry for him. I'm like, Francis, you're making him seem like a victim, like he's a terrible person. He just doesn't know how to ask you the question properly. And you're not understanding it. So basically what happened was Francis said that the toughest that uh, Stipe Miocic is the toughest matchup for him in the division. Yeah. And the journalist said, "You said that Cyril was an easier matchup than Stipe." Yeah. And then Francis was like, "I never said Cyril was an easy matchup." So it's yeah, just it like a... it, the way that the guy phrased it. What well, he should have said, 
you th said that Cyril was a less difficult matchup than Stipe, but we're also talking about somebody who speaks English as a second language. So Exactly. And Francis does too. Yeah. But just say, oh, I never said that. But why do you have to make him like you embarrass the guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You embarrassed them and everyone was like booing the guy and like I was like he just asked it wrong. I was I was more embarrassed and sad for the, the journalist. So I mean I'm on his I'm side. embarrassed for almost all of these press these press conferences that happen. Like they're just it's just they just keep getting weirder and weirder and yeah. they keep bringing in media that are being like going at the fighters. It's like, well, it's just confusing to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, there's even with the the kickboxing ones I've been part of for for many many years. I just they have fighters. A lot of times are boring. They get asked the same questions. They don't want to answer. They know what you're gonna ask, so they have to try. They're trying to at least bring entertainment. You know, like if Figueredo didn't try that little bit of trash, and like at least there was something. There was an attempt to make it exciting. Like. How exciting are Conor McGregor press conferences? Those are the ones we all want to watch because he's going to bring some form of entertainment. Most fighters don't bring them and they're boring. Oh, remember the so. last one, they had that guy in the pink jacket yelling at Conor. Like, it's yeah. embarrassing when we have this kind of stuff happen. Honestly, it really is. True. When you yeah. have people that are representing the media and are being credentialed members of the media, and they're coming in and they're going at the fighters at press conferences, they, they should have their credentials stripped immediately. Yeah. Like, if yeah. I was running yeah. the PR... I would I would say you're not welcome back here. Like you're coming and you're antagonizing our fighters when they're cutting weight during a press conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Who are you? Yeah. What are you doing I know, here? I know a lot of times you don't want to like overmanage the questions, but sometimes it might be like, hey, submit your questions. You know, like I don't know. Is that is that a possibility? Yeah, that's a problem. No, they wouldn't do that. That would no. that would look bad on that would look All bad for just about everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some ridiculous ones, but. Uh, I don't know. I think all fighters I mean, you should just at least put, put in the guidelines that you're, you're not allowed to antagonize the fighters during press conferences or you will be removed from the premises. Yeah. Like, that that's basically too. what it is. And that's, not, and that's not saying that there's no free press. You're not, doing, you're not doing journalism if you're just coming and yelling at the fighters. Yeah. It's and you not, can tell, like, if there's a, a Brazilian journalist and they can tell they're supporting one side over the other. And I get it. Well, but, even uh, that, yeah, they, even they that is not so much a problem for me. It's just when you have people coming that are there for the sole purpose of trying to, like, make themselves the show. Yeah, they want to be uh, make it on the TV. Exactly. Yeah. I, it just, I don't know, it annoys me. But uh, the rest of the card, uh, kudos to Jasmine. Jasmine Vicious makes her USA yeah. debut in the first fight on the card and gets a unanimous decision win. Great, great performance by her. Yeah, I was a little upset, so I went to go put my bet on her because I'm like, this is easy money. I've seen Jasmine. I know who, how she fights. And then they took it down because early prelims fights, they take off the they take them off the betting sites early. So I was like, what I've never the seen heck? That before. Usually you can get a bet and brighten up until they're walking into the cage. Not with the early prelims on a lot of betting sites. No, learn my lesson. But she did great. My one criticism for her, which was the last time, is she's got to keep improving her striking a little bit more. Getting her head, getting a little bit more pop. How tall and how long she is, she's got nasty clinch and knee. If she grabs anybody in a clinch and knee, she's going to break your face. Like She's mm -hmm. incredible there. Wrestling, great. Just a little bit of pop on her feet. I think then uh, we can see her really be a, a good uh, challenger of the division. I'll be talking to her in about 40 minutes. I'll, I'll let her know that you believe that. Yeah, no, you can tell her that. <laughs> no, it's true. Like, I mean, a lot of her punches, like she'll throw her jab and it was like falling down and her head wasn't moving, a little bit more fainting, you know, dropping straight punches a little bit more with her length. For She didn't throw any really kicks, no good mm -hmm. front kicks, no long length. She threw, so, I mean, she threw some good front kicks, actually. The front kick, I thought, was one of her best weapons that she yeah. used in the fight to create well, distance. Definitely could have done it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But uh, overall, great. For the first fight, I think she set in well. Um, yeah, that would be my only little bit of uh, critique is just keep working that striking to to mix with the grappling because she's uh, great, fantastic. Anything else from the card that stands out? I mean, Saeed Nurmagomedov looked amazing against Cody Stamen. Um, and they released the Fight Night Weights because California releases the Fight Night Weights and Cody Stamen put on like 33 pounds or something yeah. before the event. <laughs> Nurmagomedov looked good. I, I got easy money on that one. I got him. I picked him on that one as well. I like uh, Stamen to win a decision. That was a terrible. My 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 bet was just like a downhill, like ball rolling downhill after the first two fights. Yeah, didn't do well. Well, basically, I took Jasmine. She was plus two hundred, so that was that was a good way to start. Yeah. And after that fight, I went on Twitter and said, "I'm adding uh, a play on Demopolis by submission. It's plus four fifty. 
and Demopoulos got the submission. So I was like, okay, we're off to the races here. There you and go. then from there, it was just like I had Barcelos by decision. He lost pretty clearly to Victor Henry. I had uh, Stamen by decision. He lost in 47 seconds. And then it was like, okay, I had Figueredo Moreno over three and a half. So we were starting to look a little bit better. And then I had that double play on Francis and Cyril. It was Francis by KO and yeah, Cyril by both. decision. And I both of them fell apart. Yeah. I had a good parlay that uh, Moreno messed up for me. That was uh, that was my big one because I now got I see Francis. Now I Moreno won. I get it now. Yeah. I was a little bit biased. <laughs> but, yeah, he messed up my parlay, Moreno. You owe me some money. But uh, I, I put – and the good thing was on that parlay, I went against what you said on our show last week, and I just put Francis by win. Okay. Well, that's I, good did a sing- I did a single bet with him winning by finish, and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put him by win. He never knows. So thankfully – but I still didn't get it anyways because Moreno messed it up. Mm-hmm. But uh, otherwise it was good. But I, uh, I thought Michelle Pereira did a little bit better, kind of being wild but a little bit more patience. I'm going to critique him now, too. It's part of my job. I get to critique these sure. guys. That guy needs to learn a jab, man. He needs to put some jabbing mixed with his kicking, some straight punches. That Michelle Pereira, man, please start working on that jab. You have no hands to go with those spectacular kicks, and your kicks will just land so much better if you use your hands to set them up. Uh, the other kid I liked, uh, Michael Morales, man. Mm-hmm. Kid 22 years old. Yeah, look good. 22 years old. In the UFC, head, uh, you know, starting off the pay-per-view on a big card, man, that's spectacular to see. So I got a young 15-year-old kid uh, that will be um, – he can go to the UFC at 19 if he wants to. This kid's spectacular. So um, I hope uh, we can get there at 22 as well. So that kind of gave me a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. Well, Trevin Giles looked great at 170 pounds too. Like it's, yeah. He didn't look sunk in. He looked good on the scale. He looked good in the cage. Morales actually weighed more than him on fight night, which was surprising to me. But yeah. – uh, yeah, I, I liked thought, uh, Michael Morales was fantastic. I also liked uh, you're gonna have to kind of Jack Della Yeah, yeah, there Looked you go. Awesome. But Looked he was facing great. a guy that had very little pro experience. Like yeah. it was a late notice guy. But I mean, the he thing still is, made it fun. Pete yeah. Rodriguez is a guy who was knocking guys out in the first round in all four of his professional fights. And Della Maddalena wasn't trying to take him down. He was just standing with him and just outlanding him on the feet and taking his biggest shots. I was like, wow, this is spectacular because he's really. Yeah playing into this guy's like most likely path to victory and he's beating him at his own game yeah but he kept patient and then just boom finds the big shots i thought that was that showed a little bit of experience on his end kind of just waiting it out finding that opportunity and then just getting the finish Mm -hmm. so uh i was looking at that because if morales would have lost all three of brandon moreno's training partners would have lost before his fight and i was like if that happens maybe you take figure at that point (laughs) yeah right that's hard to come back from mentally yeah, I'm just trying to think what else impressed me. Matt Frivola, that was a fun fight. A very fun fight. He was, yeah. again, uh, another situation where you're kind of taking, you know, the the not the path of least resistance, the opposite of that, the most risky way of winning that fight because Valdez is really good on the feet and can take a shot. As you can oh, see, yeah. he could take a shot. <laughs> he could take um, a shot. I, I, that fight probably went a little too long, in my opinion. You know what? I don't think it did. I'm, no? I'm of the opposite opinion there. Okay. Um, I thought that if you watch Valdez... There was not a time up until the fight was stopped where he was out. Kept moving, kept defending himself. It looked like he was still with it, and he kept firing big shots at Frivola and landing. I thought that Mike Beltran was being very careful before he stopped that fight because I think that he saw Valdez had something left in him. Now, you never want to say you got to keep letting these guys fight until they're you know no longer defending themselves because this guy took a lot of damage in that fight. He got knocked down yeah. a bunch of times. But I thought that it was... I thought he stopped it at the right time, to be honest. Um, I might be wrong on that. I might go back and watch and think otherwise. But even when they showed the replay, I was like, no, he's still with it. He's still good. He's still landing. He's still blocking. So I don't yeah. know. No, I mean, he's still with it. But, I mean, mm-hmm. when you've seen this is where the inconsistency comes. And this is where Dominic Cruz gets upset. Where, like, you let you took it away from Dominic Cruz with probably less damage than that. They're almost that. It's That's where it gets a little bit frustrating. And, and it'll always be this little bit of a problem. But, uh First round, you're not in a big fight. You're eating too many shots. In boxing, that would have been stopped, you know? And, and, and for sure, in boxing, that would have been stopped. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad they let the fight go on, but he's ended up losing anyway. So those are just little things that, uh, I don't know, watching it, I was like, okay, could stop. Could stop. Two more things I want to touch on before we stop because I know you need to get going soon. Uh, did you see the GQ article about Kamaru Usman this morning? I did not. So he said in this article in GQ that last year 
he was training towards moving up to 205 pounds to face Jan Blahovic for the light heavyweight championship. He was going to bypass middleweight yeah. and take on Jan Blahovic. Now, people are saying that this is a crazy thing to do, but I want to ask you, as somebody who you probably walk, what do you walk around at now? Uh, I'm on a little cut phase right now. I'm okay. about 200 right now. Yeah. So Kamaru Usman probably walks around at somewhere between 195 to 210 pounds. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I, I, 200, 210 would be a little really, really high for him. So I would say 190 to 205. Okay. And on fight night, when he fights at welterweight, what do you think he weighs in the cage? Uh, I would say 187. Yeah. So I'm thinking in in that range, like 185, 187. Because yeah. he honestly, he's big, but his legs aren't that big. I yeah. think with knee injuries, he's he's got smaller legs and bones on his knees. So, so if he were to move up to... 205 it would be pretty similar to israel moving up to 205 right like israel weighed in i think it was like 201 like that's probably where kamaru would weigh in at probably 200 201 he still would technically be a light heavyweight he just wouldn't cut weight and he'd just go in and fight do you think that there would be anything aside from the size disadvantage that would be lesser in the cage for him that night if he walk if he walked into the cage at 202 pounds or 200 pounds I just think it's it's a height thing too. Like I've seen a lot of like again, I've always eyed up middleweights and you know, like when I if you meet Alex Pereira one day, I have met you him. will be like face to face you're like, in New York. Oh He's my god. Look at his hands. Like you look at his legs on TV, like look at his little skinny legs. Mm-hmm. They're not big, but you look at a man, his presence, his size, his frame. Like he, he's like I've seen him weigh in pre and post glory events. Like even when he fights 185, he walks around 215, fight week almost. You know he'll cut 20, 30 pounds, no problem, even on a small frame. Um, I trained a, a glory fighter who fought Israel Adesanya, Rob Thomas, and Rob Thomas walks around. He's a big, big middleweight, 185, and just me standing there, I'm like, you guys are too big. So <laughs> if I can imagine someone cutting down to 205, like who's probably 230 i think it's a little too much but uh what does kamaro do best he grapples you know right. so he would he would think that his grappling would be enough because what did izzy have problems with the grappling when he fought yan mm-hmm. at that point kamaro grappling it's not crazy to say i've always said too in kickboxing like if i fought artem vahitov at 205 for the world title it wouldn't be that crazy you know, he's not a big boy, and I feel like I would do well against him as well. So, I mean, I don't think it's that crazy. Mm-hmm. I always said I could be a three-division champ, so he's confident. Yeah. I just think that that's an interesting – I would have just loved to see what that would look like, right? That's what interesting. Yeah. I don't think that him versus Glover is a very good matchup, though. I think that Jan Bojovic would probably be a better matchup for Usman than, than Glover, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it's it's something he's bringing up uh, talk, but like I think him and Izzy again. I, I know it's not happening, but that would be oh, extremely be amazing to see. I mean, just because you would think, oh, how do you beat Israel Adesanya? You take him down. Who's the one to take him down? It's gonna be Kamar Usman. So like that, I wish if you're gonna put money down on it, I almost want to see that just as much as uh, a Francis John Jones. So that would really intrigue me. Right, last thing I want to talk about, and I, unfortunately we don't have a lot of time to talk about Eagles FC, which is Friday, and Bellator, which is Saturday. I want to ask you about Luke versus Bilal Muhammad too, which is going to headline an event on April 16th. Um, oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting one. Do you think that the winner of that fight should be next in line for a championship if Edwards fights Usman next? Or mm-hmm. do you think we should wait to see what happens with Kamzat Shemaev? That's a very good question. I think based on the level of those guys, you almost have to wait to see what happens with Shemaev. Mm-hmm. I almost think you have to wait. If you they were bigger names in the division... Um, but I mean, Luke is right there. They're four yeah, and five. They're four and five, and they're the two fighters that are the highest ranked that haven't fought Kamaru before. Uh, well, I mean, they're ranked. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. I mean, I don't think it'd be crazy to wait for Shamayev a little bit. But uh, what did, do you know? What the opening odds would that something like that I fight would be? They've been open. I mean, this is a rematch, right? Luke beat Bilal the first time they fought. I think Bilal. Might, I think Bilal beats him. It's gonna be interesting. I think his fight. pressure, his wrestling, like how good he looked, just keeping it, keeping you pressuring. Like Luke is scary, don't get me wrong, but Bilal looked so good in his last fight. I don't know with that wrestling and the pressure. It's five rounds, right? I mean, Bilal would basically have to take him down and and keep him there for five rounds and tire him out. Yeah. And I mean, Luke yeah. is so good with Great that choke, against. also that Darce choke, that yeah. uh, you know he'd be able to put Bilal into some trouble. That's a, just an interesting fight. It, this is a I different like fight than the last time they fought. And when's the Shamaya fight? Do we it, have nothing, that book? Nothing yet. I think it's going to be no against Burns. Still? I, think, I think it'll be Burns, personally. 
Yeah, we haven't heard much from Burns in a little bit, right? Um, I mean, he's on Twitter. He's active, but I don't think I don't know what's happening with that. I'm speaking to Ali Abdelaziz later today. I'm going to ask him for the latest uh, on that situation. Yeah. I'm also PFL signing uh, back up with ESPN and TSN for a, a multi-year deal. Kayla Harrison reportedly uh, is expected to be back on the roster next year. So, okay. well, let's see. Yeah, they started something a challenger series, I believe. Is that for just up-and-coming guys, the PFL? The yeah, they've started the challenger series to try to get onto the roster. Some actually some some solid prospects on those cards as well. You got Josh Silvera, who's the son of Conan Silvera, on that uh, that card. Um, and you've got uh, Jara uh, Al Salawi, who I think is the welterweight champion of of, of uh, was it UAE Warriors or, or Brave, one of the two. Like a pretty decent name. Hmm. And they're also they've also signed a bunch of 155 pound women for uh, for this. I'm surprised they were able to find that many, but there apparently are <laughs> six or seven 155-pound women that are trying to get on the roster. I, I would just sign them. Forget the, forget this kid. Yeah, this show. Just put go. them in the tournament. <laughs> like you know, you're not going to get those many of those. You know, that many 155-pound women. You're the only show in town, and I'm sure they're having trouble finding 155-pound oh, women. Oh, for sure, for sure. What about the Bellator card? Any fights I should watch out oh, for? The heavyweight championships on the line. This is uh, is who's the one? That's the Bader. Bader versus Moldovsky. Okay. That's this Saturday. Let's see the odds on that. Bader is a plus 200 underdog against Valentin Moldovsky, who's minus 250. Moldovsky is just... like the Fedor protege. Ah. But Fedor like there's says some good if, fights, if Bader too. wins, he wants to fight Bader. Fedor wants to fight Bader next. Oh, wasn't it? I thought Fedor was done. No, Fedor just got a win. Oh, but I thought that was his retirement match That's against Johnson. That's always his Johnson. retirement match until he plays yeah. again. Yeah. That was going to be bad. Benson Henderson, I yeah. see, is on it. Mamadov, yeah. Mamadov's a minus 380 favorite against Benson Henderson. Oof. Good luck with that one if you're betting. Uh, Darian Caldwell. Henderson. That sounds familiar. Yeah, Darian Caldwell's the uh, uh, former bantamweight champion. Is facing Enrique Barzola, former UFC fighter. That's an interesting one. I'm surprised that Caldwell's the underdog in that fight. That's That it surprises is. me. If I was going to make a bet on this card, that would be my bet. Uh, you get Caldwell at, at plus money. And uh, then uh, Eagle FC. Yeah. That'll be fun. Eagle I think that 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 might be the one I'm most excited for, solely to see Tyrone Spong in <laughs> MMA gloves. Against that Ari is Donald. my number one reason. I seen Spong knock out crazy people with kickboxing gloves. I was there actually. If you go watch uh, Tyrone Spong fight Glory Nine New York against Michael Dute, one of the craziest 30 seconds of your life worth watching it and then you picture Tyrone Spong hitting someone like that in an MMA glove and tell me you're not excited for that fight yeah. I even mess I even comment on Henry Hoops post being like I don't think I'm more excited to see someone you know crack with an MMA glove insane he's done it before though this isn't his first MMA fight right I think it's a second or third yeah. but it's been years right I think we he fought in World Series crack. of Fighting if I'm not mistaken I might be wrong on that but that, regardless, seeing him, I don't think he'll be kicking very much, but uh, I could expect those hands to fly. Oh, he did, apparently. The he, he did fight the last time. He was supposed to fight uh, Usyk at one point, right, for the world title yeah. in boxing, you know, and then unfortunately there. So it's good to see him just back fighting. Did you hear what's going on at heavyweight boxing today? Uh, you've, you've probably been in the gym. You're missing all this news. No, I've totally been in the gym. Well, apparently, um, Dillian White, I think, is next in line for Fury. And then Joshua put the rematch clause for Usyk. Apparently, there was going to be a purse bid for Dillian White and Fury. I think it was today. They moved it to Friday because apparently Joshua and Dillian White have been offered money to step aside and let Fury fight Usyk this summer to unify the heavyweight titles. Yeah, okay. Big business in heavyweight division. That's the Usyk's fight I most want. way too small. I want way to see that fight. too small I don't care. for Fury. I, I don't know about that, man. I think Usyk could give Fury a run. Really? Yeah, I, I do. I hope so, but I, I just think that the size difference is insane. Oh, it'll be big, but I, I want to say, oh, man, I would love to see that fight. I'm yeah, not even a big yeah. boxing guy, and I'm excited. You can hear the excitement in my yeah. voice. Yeah, uh, that's that's fun. Yeah. I just think heavyweight boxing, man, has is, is always been fun. So I'm just no, glad no, that... No, it wasn't. Uh, from the Klitschko era, oh, yeah. it was not fun at all. Oh, yeah, after <laughs> was no fun. But since then, since the Klitschko era, we're, we're, we're back from then. Yeah. That was, said, there was like a, was like a 10 year lull. <laughs> what did they say? Boxing is uh, boxing is where the heavyweight title is, right? Is that what's the line? Is, am, I, am I saying it right? I have no idea. So the popularity of boxing usually oh, relies yeah, yeah. where the heavyweight title is. You mm-hmm. know, like it was it, with the Klitsch goals, it's not doing anything. But when Wilder got it back and how Fury and Joshua are doing it in the UK, it's massive, right? Wherever the heavyweight title is, boxing is pretty big. 
I still remember that heavyweight era. I had money on Evander Holyfield. He was like plus 750 against uh, Valuev. You know, remember that guy, that huge guy, Valuev? I can't Big remember. Big hairy Russian guy. He was like seven feet tall. Okay. So I took Holyfield, and Holyfield just like won every round, and the judges gave it to Valuev. Like, it's, and that, man, how old were you then? How old would that been? It would have been probably like 2005 or six. Jeez. Like we're talking 50, 14. Well, let me see when the fight was. I can just look it up. Yeah, Holy I guess you were old field. enough to gamble at that time. Old enough to gamble. <laughs> if you have the internet, you're old enough to gamble. There you go. Well, I guess you have to show identification. Uh, it was 2008, December 20, 2008. Okay. So I was, yeah, I was like 20, okay. I was almost 27 at the time. Man, boxing is too much. It was a good, uh, I don't know the kid's name, but uh, a Japanese fighter was a big upset this weekend as well. Masagu- Masagaya, uh, Masaguya. Filipino. The guy Filipino, who, yeah, the guy who beat Pacquiao's, Gary Russell. Yeah, uh, Masagaya, is it? Masaguya? Mark, Mark Mas- Masayo, I think? Something Mas- uh, Mas- along those yeah, some ja- yeah, it sounds too Japanese for me. That's why I assumed it was Maybe. Japanese. No, he's, uh, he's, he's uh, promoted by Pacquiao, actually. Yeah. One of the best kickboxers of all time, Masato. Mm-hmm. Masato. Yeah. Do you know Masato? I don't. Oh, you have to watch Masato. He was a Japanese How star. How long ago was this? Good-looking, uh, good-looking Japanese fellow who just this fought like in the K-1, K-1 era. Yeah, okay. yeah, the K-1 era. The Masato, K-1 era was a bit of a blind spot for me, honestly. He is the king of Japanese kickboxing. Like when I tell you, like he was the Conor McGregor of Japan. Yeah, when K-1 was like at its apex kind yes, of. Yes, he was Conor McGregor for Japanese kickboxing. Like he, they have like quick documentaries. Time. There's one, I don't know, there's a guy who put these documentaries on, but uh, there's little short ones, and there's one on Masato and all these old school K1 fighters. You should watch it. Okay. Very good. Masato was amazing. How fast his hands and his low kicks were. Woo. I'll tell you, you won't see fighters like, I'll tell you now, you get any UFC guy on the roster, then you go watch Masato, and you go watch how insane and how fast and how hard he fought. Old school kickboxing will never be more exciting. That was like, there was an Ultimate Fighter with GSP, where GSP was uh, the coach. And they brought in Lam, the like Muay Thai guy, Lam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Tiger Muay Thai, yeah. And like, Faraz was like saying to the guys like, don't like play with this guy. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, oh, yeah. But it, that's how it is. Like, I, I, honestly, even with me, like if I go into an MMA gym, like when it's just striking, like it's, it's playing with amateurs for me. Like yeah. even, even UFC guys, it's like I've never sparred a UFC guy. Like Sean Strickland was good, but I just sparred five rounds with Chad Lepree and Strickland was good after. Like he would be a tough one, but like I've never really sparred anyone. Like unless you're like a, a kickboxer before, it'd be very easy for us, mm-hmm. you know? It's like asking me to go into Khabib's room yeah, right. and try to wrestling. do good wrestling. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna get thrown around. I'm gonna be, you know, ragdolled everywhere. Yeah, but then, but then you get to, to do stand up with them afterwards. Yeah, they get to wrestle you game. for thirty minutes. Hopefully, hopefully the striking is before the grappling, right? <laughs> exactly. I'll be too tired after grappling. But hey, I've been grappling. I've been grappling twice a week. So yeah, you were saying? Um, yeah, I'm getting good. I'm gonna move it to three times a week next week, and then uh, keep going. Let's get you on submission underground cards. Make some make some money. That's there. it. I like it. I'm gonna do it. Why not? Yeah, I'm down. There you go. It's the doctor mentality again that you have. Or like, oh, yeah. You could become oh, I, what did I watch? I watched some uh, Cage Fury grappling the other day, professional grappling. I was like, that, that kind of sparked my mind a little bit. I can call out some of the kickboxers and grapple them, right? Mm-hmm. I can't call out black belts in grappling. Yeah. It's going to take me a couple you years. You versus but... the rematch everybody wanted in grappling. Grappling, yeah. I know who I thought was funny randomly. I'll call it out here. Now maybe it'll uh, it'll come to life. But uh, someone like, you know, would be perfect, Cedric Dumbay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. That's you know, me and Dumbay grapple in, in, in a professional grappling match. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it makes sense. Like, yeah. he's been grappling. He's wrestling. He's all MMA now. Two former world champions grappling with each other. We can sell that. I woke up this morning to a glory kickboxing uh, press release. You guys have an event yeah. in Belgium in March. March Vizosik, yeah. Is that his name? Vizosik versus uh, Hari? Vizosik. Vizosik. I was Vizosik. so close. Vizosik. I was so Vizosik. close. I'm sure if you say it fast. Vizosik versus Vizosik. Hari. That rematch. That crazy yeah. knockout from last year. Yeah, uh, that's going to be scary. I don't think Botter will make that mistake because Botter was putting a beating oh, yeah. on he was him putting before. It on. That's why it was Killing one of the best knockouts of the year. It came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, Botter, when Botter's on, and uh, he, he does damage, and he was doing a lot of damage. So I think uh, this one's going to be, I think, differently, but hey, you know. Like, I know it's not MMA, was... but that was one of the best comebacks you'll ever see in combat sports. Ever. ever. Oh, yeah. Ever. Yeah. Against a legend who's on his comeback, who's just knocked you down twice already in the round, and you're one punch away from getting the fight finished to get that. Insane. Well, Joe, I've kept you too long. 
let's let you get back to it. And uh, we'll be back next week to preview. Well, we'll recap Bellator and Eagles, and we'll preview Sean Strickland uh, coming yeah. back in, into a main event against Jack Romanson. That should be a, a fun card. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. Anytime I, I'm sold on the Strickland train now. He's fun and he's exciting, and uh, I think he gets it done. It's a tough to matchup, honest. Hermanson's tough. a tough matchup for him. It's tough. Yeah, I, I know it's very tough, but that, that Strickland pressure is odds. something special. Guess the very odds. special. Guess what the was odds. the odds, sorry? Guess the odds. I want you to guess them. I'm looking oh, them up. Okay, guess the odds. I'm going to go... I'm going to guess them too before I look. Strickland minus 140. Strickland minus 140. Okay, my guess is going to be Strickland minus 190. Is gonna be that much? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Strickland minus 210. Ooh, man, that's big. Yeah, big. Her- Hermanson underground's dangerous. I'm interested in like that those price. Odds. Yeah. yeah, I don't like that. I mean, I think if you're going to pick Hermanson, I mean, by submission or sub, sub prom, by decision. Like 350. Yeah, but yeah, good fight. I'm excited for it. Good to see Strickland and Hermanson, both uh, unique guys, and Hermanson just a cool dude. So, good fight. All right, well, I've kept you too long. We'll let you get to it. Uh, thanks, and we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.